My new course is available now. It's called Instructions to Inner Peace, Finding Equanimity and Healing Through an Organized Practice of Ho'opono Pono. (laughs) Now, this course is for anyone with anxiety, depression, PTSD, anger, self-worth issues, or for any spiritual seeker who wishes to raise their consciousness. Ho'oponopono, or as many people who have taken the course call it, HPO, <laughs> means to correct errors. It's the ancient Hawaiian technique of cleaning unwanted thought patterns, taking responsibility for your emotions, and raising your frequency for love. I've organized it into a daily practice for you. Check out the link below or go to www peaceoverpain.com enter the cyber clinic and purchase this audio course for a very affordable cost give it a shot see if it's for you and please let me know how it turns out welcome to inner peace with dr reese a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Have you ever tried to no-fap and reclaim your sexual energy? Welcome to episode number 133. Today, I'm sitting down to talk to Alex Shaler. He's a consciousness coach and YouTuber with a specialty and self-inquiry, and sexual transmutation. So sit down and relax. And take in this beautiful and important conversation. Let's begin. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Kevin. So what's NoFap? abstinence from pornography masturbation orgasm for a period of time there are different levels to it shall we say um in the whole nofap community they talk about easy mode uh which is um also you know having intercourse but refraining from pornography refraining from masturbation mostly with pornography um or some people like to do something called that they might call hard mode, which is also refraining from intercourse for a period of time as well. Um, and it really came about to empower men to reclaim their sexual energy and to reclaim their sexual vitality, because obviously a lot of men and especially a lot of young boys, men of all ages are getting into uh, serious problems with pornography and ending up with things like erectile dysfunction performance anxiety and uh lapses of confidence with with uh women but but it's not just men i think it kind of started in that realm but a lot of women are also discovering the same kind of uh, yeah there's discovering the same benefits from having these periods of abstinence and especially uh, stepping away from pornography or certain types of self-pleasure um me personally um just to put it out there right now i'm not against any form of conscious masturbation sex i think it's very very healthy to masturbate and to have sex yeah what i think what no fact really is about is about transcending the unhealthy aspects uh, that people are finding uh, trouble with nowadays. And one way of doing that um, for a lot of people and, 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 and then finding their ability to reclaim that power is in at least having a period of time where they actually step away from it and see for themselves how that affects their energy, how that affects uh, their biology and their performance and uh, how they feel about their sexual prowess and energy. So I think that's no fap in a nutshell. So would it be when we, when we have orgasm, we're leaking our energy? Is that the, the basis of it? 
I don't think it's always a leak of energy in the sense that there are conscious sexual practices out there. Uh, for example, Taoist sexual practices, which yeah. had been, you know, designed to re reclaim and circulate that energy. However, most people out there aren't engaging in these advanced sexual practices. Most people out there uh, are finding problems with this and finding relief in things like NoFap and sex transmutation. They are mostly engaging with pornography yeah. and there's a massive, massive difference in what's happening uh, just in your experience. There's a big difference between engaging in pornography and, for example, engaging in real conscious uh, intercourse with someone that you really, uh, you know, love. And I think in the case of, reg you know, engaging in pornography and regularly masturbating to pornography, then yes, it does appear to be for most people a huge release of energy. And there's, you know, there's obviously limited scientific studies on this. However, it seems to be undeniable now, especially as you have hundreds of thousands of people on forums, on YouTube, different social media platforms, and reporting the same effect, reporting this this sort of lower state of energy, this this brain fog, this uh, lack of clarity, this lack of vitality that seems to creep in when they repeatedly engage with pornography, especially, um, and the reversal of that that starts to appear when they abstain, this energy does appear to build up this brain fog does seem to clear this and whether it's you know you look at it through an esoteric lens of shooting out sexual energy or you look at it uh, from a more scientific lens of like you're really elevating that you're super elevating those levels of dopamine and we know if you spike dopamine uh, then very high then the baseline then lowers afterwards um cocaine addicts get the same effect to hurt anybody that keeps spiking their dopamine we find ourselves drained and sometimes yeah. on the extreme and depressed afterwards so yeah it's, it's it's really whatever lens you look at it through people are definitely reclaiming their power and finding these these benefits of reclaiming their energy and vitality and clarity through these periods of of abstinence for sure what does no fap stand for well, I think it's just, I, I, I remember when I first heard of it, because in, in the UK, we call it a wank. <laughs> but apparently in the US, they call it a fap. A, a, a masturbation is fapping. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. I was like, okay, but yeah, so it's just no, no masturbation. That's all it means. Okay, so whether male or female, mm -hmm. pornography is addicting, mm -hmm. period. These images, this experience it gets imported into our subconscious mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anything we watch really does, right? Mm -hmm. A horror movie, whatever, the news. I have had doctor colleagues that have said that there's an explosion of young men between the ages of like, you know, 17 to 25 mm -hmm. that need Cialis and Viagra and all this stuff because... Mm -hmm. They have erectile dysfunction, like you said. Mm -hmm. Is this because you can get porn right on your phone? I mean, it's so accessible. I mean, when I was a kid, I had to steal the VHS tape from dad, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not so much anymore, is it? I think that's is more than likely to be the case that this epidemic of erectile dysfunction is due to the epidemic of pornography. Uh, it's been the case it was the case in my experience. It, it, was the, it was the case in countless people that I've talked to, countless people I've seen on the internet and people that I've also worked with and not just up to the ages of 25, uh, up to the ages of 50 um, mm. or, or perhaps, you know, perhaps older. And um, I was also very surprised that uh, the people that come to me 
uh, because I do have some content out there on this. And so then people may book a call with me off the back of that. Uh, I, I expected it to be mostly men when I first put it out there, but actually I've been getting about 50% women there as mm. well. Um, I, however, you know, in terms of like erectile dysfunction, obviously that's exclusively a male problem, but um, I mean, I, I can just tell you that I had a period of my life where I was engaging in pornography quite a lot. And this is actually how I discovered NoFap to begin with, is that I was trying to have real uh, sexual interactions on dates and finding myself with performance anxiety and finding myself, yeah. you know, it just, it just didn't, my brain just didn't feel right. It, in, I think I, the point I discovered this, I had been through a breakup where I had been having you know, I, there was a long relationship. And so had, I'd been um, engaged in, you know, like I had a healthy sexual relationship for, for a long time. But then after that breakup, when you're single, and then there's only, you feel maybe that there's only pornography as, a, as that sort of sexual outlet or that, or that way of getting pleasure in that way, I got myself into a little bit of a hole with it only to discover that that was the problem mm -hmm. when finding myself not being able to perform how I really wanted to in real yeah. human sexual interaction. Yeah. So I would, I went to Google, you know, like what's going on? Like what, what yeah. performance anxiety, what's the cause of it? And through that Googling, I discovered the whole NoFap community. And then the good thing is, is that it, it's like you, you can discover it based off of that, that, that problem that you discover yourself to have that suffering. Um, but then this whole world opens up when you realize, when you go, when you start having periods of abstinence from the pornography and the amount of energy that you reclaim, the amount of vitality and clarity you reclaim. I remember at first, I felt like it was a kind of superpower. I said, I was remember saying to people, I've done all these different personal development techniques from the Wim Hof method to breathing to yoga and exercise and supplements and everything but I don't know any other personal de personal development practice that has more of a, that's had more of an profound effect than this you know that the the difference in feeling from being repeatedly engaging in pornography to being 30, 40, 50, 60 days into a streak of abstinence is like night and day. And mm. so many people, men and women will tell you that and tell you about the difference they feel in their body and mind. Yeah. With performance anxiety, I've always said that when we engage in pornography over and over again, you know, our expectation kind of rises and, and that becomes the the new bar of your sexual fantasy and mm -hmm. then you get with a real woman and she may not be <laughs> either shaped like that or she might not be as freaky as that or whatever the case is and mm -hmm. then you you know your your desire isn't met Mm -hmm. based on the, the images that have been downloaded into your mind. Does mm -hmm. that play a factor in the performance anxiety and, and, and erectile dysfunction as well? Absolutely. I, I think it's even more multifaceted than that because a lot like a, a, you know, a very dopaminergic drug, you, people often find themselves slipping into a hole where they need more or they need more extreme versions of the same thing to get the same stimulation so a lot of people find that they'll start on you know very vanilla kind of porn but they'll gradually yeah. uh, they'll gradually move to more and more deviant kind of stuff because the more vanilla stuff doesn't seem to stimulate them in the same way and we know from neuroscience that you know pornography stimulates dopamine this 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 neurochemical that biases us for action is so high to the levels of you know for example cocaine and we know that if we spike the dopamine that high 
we get this lowering of the baseline afterwards. And so then the person feels they feels that they have to spike it again, even higher, just to get back to that same place, you see. Um, and so the images that people are using become more and more novel and more and more customized. Um, and obviously, when we, we are entering the world of the digital world of pornography, yeah. then the 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 array of novelty that you can potentially have is is limitless and the definition and the speed of it is increasing every year you know our internet gets better and faster every year the the uh the videos become high resolution now there's virtual reality um and so yes absolutely you're able to satisfy such a wide variety and of novelty visually however the experience of you being there on your own with a visual image versus a real human interaction is just completely different experience in the sense of with pornography it's just usually just purely visual and with a real person you've got pheromones you've got smells you've got touch you've got real human interaction there's uh, and and all the everything that plays out within that and the social dynamics and this whole other world that produces also a, a whole other cocktail of neurochemistry um and so you know when it comes to the the pornography it it's i feel like it's mostly just like this dopamine dopaminergic spike that you're just able to turn on by stimulating yourself with these images and just going further down that rabbit hole with those progressively elevating standards and more and more novelty is where people get themselves into trouble. Would you say that pornography realistically should be no-go, period, even though masturbation can be healthy in moderation, but pornography, no go, zero. I've thought before about, you know, what does pornography really mean? If you say pornography, you just think of a porn video, but pornography is really just being stimulated by anything, you know, visually, like someone might use something as pornography that isn't necessarily what you would stereotypically think of as pornography, but they find it turns them on. Um, and I don't think it's, it's a tough one to explain because I don't think at its baseline, I don't think there's anything wrong with it as such, as long as everybody who's involved in it is consenting. However, realistically at the point that we are now with the internet and the way the porn industry is, and there's a lot of things within the porn industry that people think are very problematic for good reason. Um, uh, then, and just the accessibility of it, the lack of education around the potential dangers of it, the accessibility of it, especially for young people who may not have the education or awareness, or, or, or sort of self-control to be able to engage in it healthy, healthily, I would say on the large part that, yeah, pornography for the most part in this current situation we have now is, is overwhelmingly destructive. Does that mean on a philosophical level that it's a bad thing? Right. Maybe not, but realistically, the way it is, the way the industry is and the way people are engaging with it, it's... It, it's it's something that if you just avoided your whole life, it would probably cause you less problem than more. It's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so before we leave this topic, I, I, I want to also mention that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Osho guy, you know, the Bhagwan, you know, and many times in his discourses, he's done topics on sex, mm -hmm. Tantra. And it was his, one of his main teachings that the orgasm is a very big spiritual event, mm -hmm. if you will, a moment. 
as close to enlightenment as you can get without, you know, it actually happening, you know. And he, you know, would promote two people coming together and and being able to consciously create this moment, this mm-hmm. ecstasy. And he would say the real orgasm is after the orgasm. Mm. When you're laying there with your partner and, you know, you're in that bliss. Mm-hmm. And so under that notion, you know, sex is, can be a really good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Conscious sex. I think this is the key word here is conscious. Is it conscious? Because a lot of the time when we're engaging with pornography, it is unconscious in the fact that we're often self-soothing and a lot of people are self-soothing some kind of pain. A conscious sexual act with with an intimate partner in a conscious relationship is completely different from an unconscious self-soothing of pain through pornography. Yeah, absolutely. Or perhaps jumping from partner to partner and being obsessed with having sex. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've known plenty of guys in my day that they get to these astronomical notch counts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the hundreds, they're in the two hundreds there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're Wilt Chamberlain, it, <laughs> if that's a verb somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just collecting sexual experiences like like it's baseball cards or something mm-hmm. and uh, and so that could be lower consciousness too right well hopping around on tinder for your life to get your next fix um can be just as much of an unconscious activity as hopping around different porn sites yeah absolutely so moving on from this topic So the whole reason that I even know who you are is because about a year ago, I went into a, we'll call it a spiritual cleanse, which most people call dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And in this misery, (laughs) of course, I'm on YouTube looking around and I found your video on dark night of the soul. That was my first introduction to you. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> how was your experience? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one? Never easy. Um, the beauty of suffering is that it can point you back towards yourself. The dark night of the soul is, is how was my experience? Was the question, wasn't it? <laughs> It's okay. Keep go wherever you go. When experiencing something that we might define as the dark night of the soul, this this inner turmoil that comes out of that seemingly comes out of nowhere, or maybe triggered by a certain kind of spiritual experience, or maybe the breakdown of a relationship, or or, or, or a career situation or loss a money of situation. Or, yeah, this, this seeming loss of control triggers this inner turmoil. It's, there's, the reason why I've spoken on it is because there's a great opportunity in there. Um, for me personally, I had discovered uh things like non-duality, concepts like non-duality, presence, awareness. And I had really gone on a a big spiritual journey myself for for many years into a kind of bliss, being able to transcend my dysfunctional thinking by knowing myself as deeper than it, being able to uh, step, you know, step, transcend certain level of anxiety and I went for a long time thinking 
yeah, I, I, I'm doing really well here. You know, I, I must, I, I must be really elevated here. I must be at, at a point of high spiritual development here. My ego must have been saying. Um, and then when this, ter- this, this, this turmoil gets triggered, especially in that, it's like, okay, what is this pointing me back towards? What is this enabling me to learn here? And for me personally. It, it really exposed the places where I was still attached to things. It really exposed uh, certain traumas and, 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 and beliefs that were still in my system that perhaps I had spiritual bypassed a bit before. Perhaps I had kind of used the presence to, to elevate myself above, but it's not until a, a life situation comes along that then triggers those those old traumas and triggers those old patterns that is like okay this this spiritual awakening that i went through wasn't a one and one and done deal <laughs> there, there is there are deeper layers of this onion that are being peeled back and being revealed um so it really enabled me That's to to go deeper and to be able to see the source of this suffering and the source of these attachments. Yeah. And you said you've gone through it multiple times. The biggest catalyst for personal and spiritual growth for me have always be started at the darkest moments because it's in that suffering that creates that catalyst to want to transcend it. It's like when you go to the darkest night, when you go to the deepest pain, it it really creates this desire within you to find out the source of your suffering, to find out how to transcend your pain. When you're kind of just ticking along or you feel like you're generally happy and everything's going quite well, you don't go on these deep spiritual explorations you don't go on these big personal growth missions because you think you're doing fine when you have these dark nights of the soul when you have these experiences and for me it's mostly been after breakups so i would say and and one one i would say was after a psychedelic experience a really traumatic psychedelic experience but those three times were the times that really catalyzed going deeper that really catalyzed uh, finding out the source of my suffering and through that i've been able to come to deeper levels of peace and deeper levels of understanding because i've been shown that i'm still attached to things that i've still got these traumas in my nervous system that i've still got these dysfunctional beliefs that are taking me away from who I truly am. And so each dark night has provoked that investigation uh, into who am I really? Am I really these thoughts and these beliefs that are causing this suffering? Am I really these feelings in the nervous system that are disturbing? Am I really a victim to my own circumstance? Or is there, is if I turn around, can I find a, a peace and happiness that's inherent in my being that is separate from these seemingly dark external circumstances? It's the suffering and the dark night of the soul that forces us to turn around and look at ourselves and find out that that peace and happiness was in ourselves all along and not in the external situation, which we believe is the source of our suffering. It's almost like training to die. It is a kind of death. Yeah. I I, I would, uh, I want to ask, do we have to keep going through it though? in order to get to the our realized self do we have to keep 
going through these episodes of the so-called dark night of the soul? Or can one be enough to where you get to a daily practice and you just, you know, mm -hmm. keep, keep working at it? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to go through it again. <laughs> seven months. It was seven months for me. Mm -hmm. So that's quite long. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we have to necessarily. I think that we have the ability to realize and understand deeper aspects of ourself in any moment mm. it does it does appear that our deep suffering is the thing that really catalyzes a deeper investigation in most of us mm. but it really depends on your your conditioning uh, the the traumas that you hold within the patterns and the beliefs that may still have some kind of momentum. The good news is, is that once you discover the core of your being as being inherently peaceful, <laughs> when you experience some kind of dark night of the soul and maybe it's not one night maybe it's seven months <laughs> the, the 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 real the thing that you can always source some kind of comfort from and this was my experience it when, when you discover the peace that you are is no matter what is happening in your experience with these thoughts and these feelings that are just sometimes hellish and tortuous in that moment you can there, there is an opportunity to experience yourself as the formless aware spaciousness within which this turmoil appears yes and there's something really really enlightening and empowering within that to be able to experience that level of turmoil you know when 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 i was having particularly a particularly troublesome time it felt like my nervous system was being electrocuted from the inside out mm. it felt like i was being constantly electrocuted if like every thought in my mind was dark and i just couldn't think anything positively however luckily because 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 i had been exposed to certain teachings before there was this recognition within me that no matter how torturous this turmoil is, I am this formless space that it, that it appears within. Mm. And there's a real opportunity to, to, to take a stand as that self, to take a stand as that formless being, to take a stand as you truly are, as this awareness. And so long as you keep taking your stand as yourself and as awareness, that, that really is ultimately the way out and the prevention of having to go through the dark night of the soul over and over again to realize this. I mean, how much suffering do you need? My so-called episode actually, for the most part, ended with a Satori. Mm. You know? It's just this beautiful five, six hours of great awareness. And then it went away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was upset for a few days, but I realized, you know, all right, well, you know, you know, if you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha, right? So, you know, from then on, there wasn't much suffering it was just an ongoing practice of mm -hmm. chipping away at the, these belief systems mm -hmm. chipping away at these expectations mm -hmm. ultimately it's just chipping away at the dream mm -hmm. it's just a dream mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know mm -hmm. so we're all unprogramming our neuroses Mm -hmm. right it, 
I think it, it can also show you new levels of personal and spiritual growth, shall we say, or, or, or understanding that, that you may not have touched on before. For example, I went through one dark night of the soul where I learned that I'm not my thoughts. I learned that I'm not the sense of self in my thinking. And I wouldn't have discovered that unless I went through that experience. I wouldn't have discovered that unless my thoughts got so tortuous that I wanted to escape them. And then because they got so tortuous, I read material like Eckhart Tolle and Rupert Spira and all these uh, uh, spiritual teachers who, who, who give us this awareness that, that we're more than our thinking. Mm. And that we're, we're actually the, the, the self, the awareness, the, 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 the spacious presence within which our thinking arises. So I, I discovered that through that suffering. And that wouldn't have happened unless I went through that suffering, shall we say. Right. However, a few years later, I found myself, yeah, being perfectly able to realize that I'm not the sense of self in my thinking but I'm like hang on a minute my nervous system is jacked up to level 11 here and it feels like I'm being electrocuted and tortured from the inside out and through that period of suffering through that dark night of the soul I learned about being able to regulate the nervous system I learned about being able to somatically experiencing somatically experience the body in a way to reset the nervous system into you know out of being chronically overactivated into a sympathetic response back down to a calming response and i learned within that as well that i had a lot of anxiety and trauma and fear going on in the background going on in my nervous system in my body that went unnoticed and although I was able to transcend this fearful thinking there was still this 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 latent energy trapped in my nervous system which through that second dark night of the soul it sent me on another you know exploration in okay what do I do about this <laughs> what do I do about this overactive nervous system so so it, it it can be that you discover a new aspect or a new level on this journey to inner peace it's interesting you mentioned the electrical feeling uh one of my favorite teachers dr david hawkins said you know has mentioned that sometimes it, awakening hurts mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he mentioned that mm -hmm. he had moments where his whole body felt like he was being just shocked just so that just crossed my mind Mm -hmm. yeah. doesn't sound fun <laughs> it's not i mean there can be intense physical sensations in the body that arise um through many different experiences um i think the beauty of these teachings and understandings is that they teach us that we're more than these sensations they teach us that where more than these thoughts sometimes we can have experiences where our thoughts and feelings are incredibly intense mm. and that's why you know part of my suggestion to people is to discover themselves as deeper than thoughts and feelings so especially at these times where they're very very intense we, we know ourselves as deeper than them. We know ourselves as the still, silent spaciousness that they arise within. And it doesn't immediately get rid of the turmoil, but what it does do is enable you to sit back from it. What it does do is enable to really experience yourself as being undisturbed by them because however intense your inner turmoil has been it is in its nature transitory and when it passes through you you find 
that what you essentially are as this aware spaciousness it was completely untouched, completely untouched. And to know yourself as that awareness and to know yourself as that spaciousness, I, I would suggest is the path to true inner peace because it's discovering it's not necessarily just fine it's not necessarily finding inner peace it's it's understand it's 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 recognizing yourself and it's recognizing yourself as inherently peaceful and that is no more obvious than at times when you're experiencing deep suffering and deep turmoil but at the same time knowing yourself as the undisturbable spaciousness in which this turmoil will eventually leave <laughs> earlier you mentioned rupert spira who's been on this podcast and we had a great discussion how important has self-inquiry been on your journey it's been the most important thing it's been the most important thing the two most important things have been being able to somatically experience the body, being able to be with the bodily sensations. So having the attention turn towards the felt sense, the, the somatic landscape of the body and being able to be with that. So those energies can move and process and release. Um, and then the most important thing on top of that has been turning the attention round towards the self, turning the attention round towards the one who appears to be experiencing and investigating the nature of one's self. So I mentioned earlier how we're not our thoughts and we're not our feelings. We are this spaciousness that they appear within. If you really investigate it, you'll find that out. And so this self-inquiry is uh, giving awareness to ourselves, being aware of ourselves and investigating through our own experience, what is the nature of this awareness? What is the nature of our self? And when we do that investigation, we find ourselves to be inherently peaceful to be inherently spacious to be inherently happy and if you took away every other spiritual or personal development practice and you could and gave me the choice to only leave one that would be the one that's typically what everyone says mm-hmm uh, it seems to be either that or Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Those are like the two go-tos for everyone that's been realized. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're saying with the paying attention to the body, that could be considered Vipassana, right? Isn't that? Exactly. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Vipassana typically would be following the breath, but that's a body sensation, right? Mm -hmm. in, in both in both circumstances, just 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 on its baseline, you're taking you're divesting attention from being exclusively contracted down onto the mind and the thinking, which is usually where we are in in the default state in this modern society you know just listening to our thoughts talking to ourselves in our head watching mental movies in the mind and you're you're taking some attention away from that and 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 bringing it towards the felt sense of the body or turning the attention around towards yourself and you can actually you can actually do both at the same time uh it's a bit more advanced but but it's possible and um but 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 just 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 to begin with, that is such a helpful thing to be able to do, to be able to just move your attention from being completely consumed by your thinking and this and this this cognitive lens that you see the world through 
and bringing some attention to the felt sense of the body and tapping into its innate intelligence. Um, and then com combining that as, as teachers like Eckhart Tolle and Rupert Spira both do, they both have meditations which explore the felt sense of the body and turn the attention around on itself to investigate the nature of oneself. So yeah, for me, definitely the combination of these two, uh, I want to say practices as such, but you know, that one of them's an, one of them you could say is a practice and one of them you could say is an investigation. Um, just the combination of those two is, is extremely powerful. In the self-inquiry process, would you walk back, walk it back with, as you, would you walk it back with questions after question after question, or would you just go right to the, who am I or what's aware? Uh, what do you mean by asking the question after question? Yeah, like um, asking a question and then shooting the question down which I, you know, like, am I a man? No, I'm not a man. I'm something else. You know, I see. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Just always oh, see. Yes, walk, yes, yes. Walking the questions back until you get to. Exactly. Some... Yeah. So I think what you're referring to here is like, there are, there, there are different ways in which you can go about this. There's what you could call the neti neti process discovering what you're not to get to who you are i think mm -hmm. that's what you were alluding to and the distinction between that and asking a question like who am i which is like a signpost straight back to the self so i think depending on who depending on the person both paths it's not an either or thing like both paths or one or the other may be more helpful, shall we say. Um, you can go through a process of, yes, understanding through your experience, through your own investigation that my thoughts change and come and go. And there are even spaces between thoughts, but I don't go with them, I remain. And so I cannot essentially be my thoughts with these feelings, the feelings change and they morph and they come and they go, but I don't come and go, I stay here. So I can't, they, they, they can't be essential to who I am. And then you go through all of, you, all of these objects of experience to find out that they are transitory to find out that they appear and disappear mm. but the aware presence within which they appear remains and you discover yourself to be as essentially your essential self to be that aware presence so that so that's one path shall we say one level of investigation and then there are using these self-inquiry questions like who am i and that's a bit like it's a bit like a signpost like the signpost isn't the destination if you keep on asking the questions but you don't follow to where they're pointing to you're you keep on looking at the signposts without ever following them to their destination so the questions are only useful in terms of what they actually point you towards. And so when it comes to a question like, who am I? It is pointing you to who you are, not the concepts of who you are, but the one who's aware of those concepts, the one who's aware of your experience, pointing you back towards yourself directly through that one question that Raman Maharshi, uh, I think he came up with it. <laughs> and there are many other questions like that that are just direct pointing back towards the self. So yeah, that's the distinction here. This 
this, this process of finding out what you're not to get to who you are can be very helpful. And these questions that point you directly back to yourself, giving you the chance to give yourself awareness and, and investigate the nature of yourself. They can both be very helpful. Yeah, my mentor used what's aware. That was his question. What's aware? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Am I aware? How long would you do self-inquiry? It's not, is it something that you would do all day as you go through your day? Or would you block off some time, like say, all right, I'm going to do it for this hour, like you would a meditation? Both in the sense that you can have times where you dedicate to self-inquiry. You can have times where you, for example, sit on your own somewhere in your room, out in nature, wherever you like, and do, you know, you know do self-inquiry, like how intentionally uh, place you know, intentionally become aware that you're aware and investigate the nature of yourself, of this awareness. Um, however, you don't want to just be keeping self-inquiry to specific times. Uh, you, you the, the path, the path is about taking a stand as yourself the path is about taking a stand as awareness and this applies through your daily life as well and it's something that you can that is something that can occur to you at various points throughout the day at various points throughout the day it may occur to you that you're drifting into deep into thinking and mental movies um and it occurs to you, ah, come back to myself. And there's this kind of, I always think like spiritual awakening, we, we always think that it's, that we, we seem to think that spiritual awakening is just this like one big event that happens in people's lives, or maybe they go through a few. And that is one type of spiritual awakening. We say, oh, I had a spiritual awakening. You think it's this big monumentous thing. But I like to, I like to think that there's actually, you can have hundreds of spiritual awakenings a day. Every time you realize that you're drifting deep into thinking and, 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 and away from yourself and trying to source happiness from the external world until you wake up from that dream and realize that you are this aware presence again. And that can, and, and, and especially at the beginning of a lot of people's journey with this, that can be something that happens many, many times throughout the day. Mm. Uh, it, 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 there's this sort of pendulum swing back and forth between getting lost in the objects of experience, realizing that that's happened. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it's, the, it's the suffering not just the deep suffering, but, you know, even just mild suffering can then wake you up to the fact that, hey, I've got off track here. I've come away from myself here. I've got lost in this experience and it's time to wake up. It's time to come back to myself. Allow me to share something that's happening right now in my life. My closest aunt has been in the hospital for five weeks. Tremendous suffering, right? Just mm. they open heart surgery and then there, there's an infection in the blood. It, it's just like this falling apart physically. And my mother, my father, and my cousin, her daughter, they're, they're in suffering. Mm. Sometimes there's even crying. And mm. they're, and they're, they're amping each other up and I'm watching it because I'm in, I'm a, I'm, I'm a watcher now, right? <laughs> I'm in higher consciousness. So I'm watching the show in lower consciousness and I'm watching 
the suffering happening. And I'm watching them do it to themselves. Because one calls the other, and there's one story going to the other ear, and this story going to the other, and then the worrying, and the predicting, and the assuming. Mm -hmm. And every day they're mourning this woman who hasn't died yet. Mm -hmm. And it's not bothering me at all. It's my closest aunt. It has mm -hmm. not touched me at all because I'm choosing <laughs> to not think about it. And so the awakening there is it's a choice. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a choice that can seemingly get more challenging the, the greater the challenge you're being exposed to in life. In other words, if I, you, or whoever was her in the hospital, mm -hmm. that would be a big challenge mm -hmm. because it's her story. It's her experience. It's not ours. We're reacting to her experience mm -hmm. and she's scared to die. Mm -hmm. And that I have compassion for. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be scared to die. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. That's the only goal is to be on your deathbed with a smile. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay, cool. We're about to graduate. We're about to go so do something else. Right. Yeah. But this woman, the 70 year old woman, is scared to die. And she's reverting back to you know, a five year old who thinks there's a monster in the closet. That's the only analogy I can think of. Life is going to give us the challenges that we need to awaken to ourselves. And the real test, as it were, the real test of our peace, the real test of our so-called awakening is can we, can we remain as ourselves? Can we remain as this peace? when the turmoil jacks up more, like when we get a chronic illness, when our business falls apart, when our money gets low and we don't know whether we're going to be able to pay the rent, when our partner that we thought really loved us suddenly leaves us, when a family member is ill, someone that we love greatly and we're very attached to, that these episodes, these challenges, this adversity is, is the real is the real test of, of our understanding, as it were. And th th this, is the, this is the beauty of these, you know, obviously these experiences are not pleasurable. And obviously, you know, I, I, I've been through such great pain and suffering in my own life. It's, it's enabled me to have such deep compassion for anybody that's going through any kind of turmoil or adversity, especially, you know, very deep adversity. Um, and there's, there's many people out there that have experienced much more heinous or, 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 or challenging events than, than even I have. Um, and, and so none of this understanding, uh, it, is devoid of compassion. None of this understanding is, is, is just, you know, by saying to bypass the pain or anything like that. But, but, but what it is saying is that amongst, amongst the pain and the challenge, there is an indisturbable peace at the core of your being and your, 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 your ability to stand within that is really tested by these experiences. However, if you can use these experiences, use these challenges and adversity to deepen your understanding, to go deeper into yourself, then they do enable you. There is a kind of grace in them that enables you to discover even deeper levels of peace and, and, and deeper levels of understanding because they really force you in a way to go deeper. They force you, you've got two choices. You disappear 
into the tortuous story about it, you 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 disappear. You, you you feel completely overwhelmed by the the bodily sensations uh, that that come out of this, or you and, and yeah, and you just completely lose yourself in that, or you turn around and you. D discover the one who's experiencing this the, the the silent watcher you discover the self the awareness within which this experience arises and investigate the nature of that and 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 take a stand as that which deepens your understanding and and, and deepens your peace really brilliant my my mentor uh has been awake for over 20 years and his his son died of bone cancer 19 year old son mm. from high level stuff didn't mm. didn't phase him uh he helped his son he had compassion for his son but the actual death didn't phase him because he's awake so i i had to ask i was so curious like, how did you handle this? How? And he had two big responses that really stuck with me. The first one was, well, as soon as the diagnosis came in, I accepted his death. And the second one was, after the death, he chose not to think about it. Because he had already found his, his essential self. Mm-hmm. He, his his mind is a tool not you know he control he 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 dictates to his mind mm -hmm. you know so he has the absolute choice and so you say well you don't think about it mm -hmm. you don't think about it there's no emotion <laughs> it's brilliant and, and it's hard to get to it takes a lot of work and maybe some dark nights <laughs> mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I mean, to be able to come out of that, because they say burying a child is the hardest thing, they say, mm -hmm. for the human condition. To, to be able to come out of that unscathed is, is like, wow, you know? I don't, I don't know how, how you feel about it. But... Acceptance is powerful. <laughs> the other thing I would say as well is that Sometimes when we get to acceptance, sometimes that is just it. We get to this acceptance that stops the narrative in the mind. We realize ourselves as yes. the awareness and not this torturous story. And, 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 that, and that is what really helps us to transcend it. Sometimes we, we transcend the thinking around it, but there is this latent energy in the body these these sensations in the body uh, i've had times in my own experience where i've realized that i've got way too lost in some thinking about something and my an attachment to something and lost in the story about it and then reach some level of acceptance which really is just waking up from that dream and coming back to yourself. And what remains is this intense emotional energy that you can feel in the body, in, in the felt sense of the body. And so it doesn't always immediately end the pain in, or end the, uh, the, the dense sometimes uncomfortable energies that are in the body however being able to be with those sensations in the body allows them then to process allows them then to release mm -hmm. sometimes intense bodily sensations arise in response to something and we can actually that's actually an opportunity to purge these energies in the body by being able to just be the aware spaciousness that these sensations appear within and not 
not not label them not not cover them up with a veil of concepts but just really be with those raw sensations really be with the raw felt sense of the body and then that allows those energies to be processed mm. to dissolve and that speaks to this dark night of the soul is that sometimes with the dark night of the soul it may be that these extremely intense uncomfortable body sensations which are linked to old attachments and old traumas arise but the question is is can you are you able just to be able to be with them no matter how uncomfortable they are and you don't need to accept them with the mind. You don't really need acceptance when you just realize that you are this spaciousness that they appear within. And then just being that spaciousness, knowing yourself as the undisturbable piece, and then allowing those energies to move through um, is, is, is another level of release that, that further aligns your experience of your body with your deeper understanding of this piece so before i ask you my last question where can people come say hello to you and come see your work so you can come and see my work on instagram or youtube just type into the search bar alex shaler uh, S-H-A-I-L-E-R. No one seems to be able to spell it. <laughs> and uh, you can go to speaktoalex.com if you want to apply to book to speak to me on the phone. Right. So what are the top three most influential books you've ever read? Wow. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> um, the Power of Now. Mm, by Eckhart Tolle, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, mm. and Being Aware of Being Aware by Rupert Spira. Being aware of being aware. It says it all right there. Alex, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.